I'm Dave Cornelier, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, and I'm joined by my producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Adam. Hey, Dave. It's good to be back in the saddle with you. Yeah, it feels like it's been a couple weeks since we last sat down. (laughs) (laughs) Back when the Alberta party was making news. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Our our last guest, Barry Morishita, the leader of the Alberta party. That was, was, it feels like it was an eternity ago. Was that 2021? Uh, I think it might have been. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. It's been a while. I'm glad to be here with you. This yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, it's a real uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to be back on the pod with uh, with Adam. Yeah, awesome. Um, do you think that uh, do you think the listeners will get back into this with us, or do you think we're we're cultivating an entirely new audience here? Well, I, I certainly hope that a lot of people <laughs> who uh, who listen to the pod. Uh, loyally for the uh, I don't know five years or so that we recorded it. Before. It was it was a long. It was time. a while, yeah. I, I certainly hope that they uh, that many of them rejoin us. Uh, you know, if uh, hopefully they hopefully they haven't forgotten about us yet. <laughs> and uh, and for uh, for those of uh, you know those listeners who are new, you know, welcome. We're uh, we're glad to have you, and I hope you uh, enjoy what we uh, what we have to say here today. And what is it that we have to say here today, Dave? What are we talking about? Well, we are going to talk today about the election campaign. Well, the pre-election campaign. Oh, you know what? The election campaign. Yeah. Because the election, the Alberta election, it's not till May, but it is happening already. We all know that. Anybody who's paying attention to Alberta politics <laughs> politics <laughs> knows that. It's the, uh, it's the never-ending electoral campaign. Uh, everything from fundraising numbers from the parties and what it means to uh, electoral math and looking at the big picture going into, uh, going into uh, well, if I say in the election period, going into... Uh, into the spring, yeah. when uh, Albertans will actually have to decide who they're going to vote for in May. Yeah, theoretically. We're, we're also going to chat about Danielle Smith's United Conservative Party. That's a new development since we last sat down on the pod. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a new leader of the Conservative There's a party. new leader. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, the last time we recorded a podcast, uh, how bizarre it would be to, <laughs> to, 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 to think that Danielle Smith would be premier right now from back then. How much has changed? Um, you know, we're, 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 we're going to ask the question, were we better off with uh, Jason Kenney? Was, is the UC, was the UCP better off with Jason Kenney? We'll uh, dive into the Crown Prosecutor email scandal. Uh, is that a thing? What has happened? What did Danielle Smith say? Did emails get sent? Who sent them? <laughs> uh, the uh, misstep since Premier Smith's election and, and how Albertans are feeling about their government going into 2023. And finally, we'll end things off with our favorite thing to do on this podcast, the mailbag. We put a call out for questions, and you, our dear listeners delivered as always yeah they really did so to my question about whether or not people will listen to this i think it was answered by the number of questions yeah yeah yeah, we appreciate it we had had a lot a lot of questions well uh it's going to be a deep dive into the giant mailbag uh that's sitting right in front of us now it's like (laughs) santa claus's uh gift sack yeah exactly yeah we have a present for everyone all the little all the little folks out there who sent us questions we've got gifts for all of you all the little alberta politicos out there (laughs) exactly um do you want to dive in Sure. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Well, so I wanted to start uh, talking about fundraising, particularly between the United Conservative Party and the New Democratic Party. Um, So at the end of 2022, the NDP posted a fundraising total of $7.1 million. And they raised, so that's for the whole year. They raised 3.4 million of that in the fourth quarter. 
And if you're on any of their mailing lists, you would know that because you got an email every fucking day for a month uh, at the end of that quarter. And then the UCP's fundraising total was around $7 million plus another $3.8 million from the leadership campaign for a total of 10.8. So given all of that context, my first question, Dave, is do you think that fundraising totals correlate to electoral success in Alberta? Well, we're, we're certainly talking about a lot of money in Alberta politics. I don't remember uh, a time where the two main political parties were appeared to be this, at least at this point, this kind of this equal. And we'll dive a little bit into the UCP numbers because I think there's a little bit of a little bit of of accounting math happening there with right. with, with the leadership, including the leadership uh, numbers. I mean, it's mon- money is money, but uh, you know, people who were donating to Travis Tabes had a very different idea of the UCP <laughs> the uh, UCP they wanted than people who donated to Danielle Smith. So you know, that's usually parties don't include the leadership. Uh, leadership campaign money or don- oh, donation? Is that right? Well, typically, I mean, they're, they're obviously like the parties will collect money, the campaigns will collect money. Um, it's all it's fair game, honestly. But you know, it's a little bit of spin. Um, but the UCP did co- did collect a lot of money going from coming from their leadership campaign, coming from the leadership campaign. So you know, it counts. Yes, it's a lot of money. There's a lot of money floating floating around. But mm, yeah. Um, I haven't seen any polling recently, but but I, you know the last few I saw had like a dead heat between the UCP and the NDP. I think the most recent poll had the UCP out in front. Um, so so do these totals correlate to what we might see at the ballot box in your mind? Well, I think there's a real. I mean, the the, the polls have shown. I mean, the the I'd say the 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 only the only poll that matters is the poll on election day. <laughs> but the only other poll that matters is the poll that Janet Brown does. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. She's a Calgary pollster, she's, right? She's a Calgary pollster, Janet Brown, and she's, I would say, the best one of the best pollster, if not one of the best pollsters, most credible pollsters in the in the province of Alberta. Um, and she has a, a a really good track record of 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 um, uh, forecasting, not well forecast, really really good track record of polling in, uh, yeah. in Alberta, and those polls to kind of reflect what the you know sometimes reflect what the what the results are more than I would say probably other some other. Uh, other pollsters, um, you know, she put out a poll last year, and it's been a while um, that had the NDP ahead. Um, ever since that, since then, all these other polls that have come out have created have have, have shown a, a very close race, a horse race for the most part. I think there were a few polls that had the NDP way ahead in Calgary, but most of them show them, you know, showed showed the UCP and the NDP pretty close. And this is, this falls into the, this is the narrative building part right, of, yes. of election campaign. Who has the momentum? Who has the momentum? And, and, you know, newspaper columnists and, you know, political commentators love the, love the horse race. And I, you know, you got to take polls with a grain of salt, right? They are a snapshot of something that, you know, that, uh, that happened at a certain moment in time uh, and not all polls are created equal, right? Mm-hmm. Some polls use different methodology. You got to really be careful in terms of when, when you're looking at polls. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's a it looks like it's a horse race at this point. It looks like it's quite close. The the place where and have we even stopped? Have we did I did I even t- talk about money? I talked a little bit about. I think fundraising. we mentioned money. We mentioned money. That was your initial question. Yeah. So I want to go back to your initial question. Let's talk about money. About fundraising. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like we have you know at this point there's two 
somewhat equally matched uh, fundraising totals from 2022. When the, at the end of January, Elections Alberta should be releasing, I think they released the final report, the annual report for the 2022, all the 22 to 22 fundraising for political parties. And that's when we're going to get a better idea of how much money the parties have in the bank. Right. going into 2023. And that's the number that I'm really interested in is how much money, because last year going into 2022, I think the NDP had something like $5 million going in the, in the bank wow. going, going into 2022. And that's a real demonstration of, of financial strength mm-hmm. um, because it takes money to run campaigns. And, you know, we have limits in terms of what uh, writing, what candidates can spend in, in their campaigns in their own writings, what the, what the provincial parties can spend province-wide. Um, so the more the provincial parties raise, the more they're able to funnel that into, I mean, provincial ad, province-wide advertising, targeting writings, but also helping fund uh, constituency campaigns on the, uh, on, you know, on the ground campaigns as well. So um, I think it demonstrates that the NDP, I think over the past couple of years, have well, clearly demonstrated that they have uh, a very um, vibrant and very strong fundraising base. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the, you know, the, the emails that NDP supporters get. I hear, I hear NDP, NDP supporters, they, they tell me how annoyed they are. Sometimes they tell me how annoyed they are about the number of emails that the party sends out, uh, fundraising emails that they send out. But, you know, the thing that I say, I usually reply back is they do it because it works. Yeah. They're raising a ton of money. They're raising a ton of small donations. They're actually raising quite a bit, quite a bit, uh, quite a number of large donations as well. But, but, you know, these types of fundraising techniques might seem annoying, but they do work and they get people to donate. Um, the UCP, I mean, it looks like coming out of 2022 that Daniel Smith has somewhat reinvigorated the UCP fundraising machine. We saw going into the 2019 election that the UCP was raising fists full of cash. Yeah, yeah. They, they were a really impressive fundraising juggernaut. And that, the, you know, the floor totally fell out of it with Jason Kenney <laughs> as as premier over, over the course of uh, uh, the past, uh, past four years. So uh, the UCP... Fundraise, their fundraising was very poor for 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 a conservative party in for Alberta. a conservative for the party lead conservative for party. the lead conservative party in in Alberta. But now it seems like they're a bit re- being reinvigorated. So it'll be interesting to see what what their fundraising looks like at the beginning at the, in the first quarter of 2023 going into the election. Yeah, because I, sure. I expect that a lot of conservative donors are going to be thinking about and to be you know they're going to be pressured to think about you know <laughs> do you want Rachel Motley to be premier of Alberta? Yeah, because you know if you don't. Now's the time to donate to your political party. We were joking about this over text um, that Alberta, in fact, has two right-wing parties. So <laughs> the, the UCP being the front runner of right-wing parties and the NDP being a small right of center. Well, the, 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 new, the new progressive conservative party <laughs> exactly. in a lot of ways. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, I track candidate nominations and anybody who follows DaveBerta.ca will, will know that, that I... I track a lot of um, candidate nominations and across the province and one of the like the NDP's slate especially in Calgary uh, I mean it's a I've kind of nicknamed it the progressive the NDP progressive conservative (laughs) slate because it's not your you know this isn't uh, shop stewards and you know traditional kind of NDP activists this is uh, you know in a lot of cases the NDP have reached out they're trying to to, they've put a real effort to appear more moderate to appear uh, more centrist you know to try to take that kind of progressive conservative mantle I would say especially in Calgary where they need to win seats in the next election if they want to form government so um, you know you're seeing 
former vice presidents of, you know, the Economic Development uh, uh, Corporation in Calgary. You're seeing lawyers, you're seeing economists, you're seeing energy analysts, um, you know, people who would, you know, 20 years ago, we'd probably be very comfortable running under the Progressive Conservative banner are no running for uh, Rachel Notley's NDP. And that's that that's a conscious effort among the NDP uh, campaign to try to, you know, recruit candidates who uh, who they believe will appeal more to Calgarians who who self-identify as small C conservative. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that's also a function of who is who the UCP is today with Danielle Smith leading it and the sort of like wild rose base kind of taking over, right? Yeah, the UCP in 2023 is a different political beast than it was in 2019. Mm-hmm. It's a very different beast. It's, yeah. uh, you know, in 2019, they were, this was, it was a coalition. Uh, I mean, I like to say it, it, it was a, Jason Kenney created this coalition of the progressive conservatives and the Wild Rose Party, and he kind of, they force merged it. <laughs> In order to, you know, with the goal to defeat the NDP in 2019, which they, which they were very successful at. They won a huge yeah. majority and big majorities, especially in the rural areas, just huge, massive margins of victory in some of these ridings. But what they discovered soon after, very quickly after they formed government, is that all the things they didn't like about each other before when they were two separate political parties... They still didn't like about a bit, like like about each other, but now they were in the same party, and then you have all the stress of the I mean of the economic challenges of the COVID nineteen pandemic of the uh, the uh, policy agenda that was put forward by by Jason Kenney during been pushed through pushed through during the COVID pandemic, and. Um, it really, I think, it really strained some of those, uh, some of those that, that strained that coalition. And yeah. you know, when we saw that now, and you know, as a as a result, Danielle Smith is uh, is premier right now, and her coalition was able to, you know, just totally flatten her opposition in terms of momentum. I mean, it took to the sixth ballot to win, but it's clear in the UCP leadership race that there was only only one candidate who had anything close to momentum, yeah. and that was Danielle Smith. And the whole time, too. The whole time, right? Yeah. She just, she dominated. She sucked up all the oxygen, and yeah. uh, the other candidates, you know, uh, try as they might have, might might have to, uh, to, to push their own narratives and to talk about their own issues. Uh, they were just chasing her tweets the whole time. I was going to say, it's easy to suck up all the o- oxygen when you're basically running against corpses. Yeah. Because that's well, kind of, that's what it felt like. I'm not saying, you know, in deference to the leadership candidates, I know a lot of them worked yeah. hard, but I mean, it was, you got steamrolled. Yeah. And I mean, the front runner, or the, 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 the perceived front runner at the very beginning, the person who had the institutional support, the support of the establishment of the UCP, um, Travis Taves, I mean... <laughs> Travis Taves is a very smart man. He's, you know, he he's he acts like the adult of the room. He mm-hmm. he's smart. Uh, he's been successful, but he ran an incredibly boring campaign, and he's a boring. He was a boring candidate. But, and we thought that would be the safe candidate in yeah. these in these times, but turns out, uh, Danielle Smith with her wild ideas. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Um, was the safe candidate. So before we move on to talking about the current government. I want to chat a little bit about electoral math. Okay. So it's been said that the NDP are going to have to basically sweep Calgary and Edmonton, plus the Edmonton donut, as it's been referred to, the sort of like bedroom communities around Edmonton to win a majority. So based on what you're seeing out there now, and I know the election is six months today, but if you had to vote well, today- Well, not six months today. It's like three months. Like the election starts in like three months. Shit, sorry. It's, yeah, the election begins in three, four months? Well, the, May 29th is the election day. 
Is it though? And we'll talk about well, that too in a moment. But, <laughs> but based on what you're seeing out there, how likely is electoral success a majority government for the New Democrats? I think it's going to, well, I think it's possible. I think that it's going to be very, ch- the, the, the electoral math is much more challenging than it is, that it, it, much more challenging for the New Democrats than it is for the UCP. The mm-hmm. UCP already have a big majority. Uh, as Daniel Smith said, which, you know, she may have regretted this uh, after she said it, but she said it after she won, won the UCP leadership and became premier, that uh, they could, the UCP can, can afford to lose a whole bunch of seats in Calgary and still form government. Right. And, you know, I bet there were a whole bunch of UCP MLAs in Calgary who were really unhappy with those comments <laughs> after, after they heard their leaders say that, and that's probably why she, she backtracked it pretty quickly. Um, but, uh, but the road through, the road for the NDP to form government is mainly through Calgary. I mean, mm-hmm. they have almost all the seats. They have all but two seats in Edmonton. Um, one seat is uh, a former uh, New Democrat, Thomas Dang, who's an independent who's not running again. And the other seat is Casey Madu, the lone UCP MLA and deputy premier in uh, uh, in Edmonton Southwest. Uh, both those seats are big targets for for the NDP. As you said, the, the donut around Edmonton is uh, is an area the NDP are focusing on, the kind of suburban areas, St. Albert, um, Sherwood Park, Spruce Grove, Leduc, Morinville, those kind of areas are, are where the NDP need to pick up. And then Calgary. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. The NDP currently have three seats in Calgary. Now they won, I think in 20, 2015, they won like 14 or 16 seats in Calgary. Yeah. Um, but... They need to. They basically need to win, need to run the board and win the same amount or more in order to in order to form a government. So that's why you see Rachel Notley and NDP MLAs spending every spare moment they can every weekend. Yeah. Rachel Notley is down in Calgary campaigning, and, and NDP MLAs are down in Calgary. Yeah, campaigning. like from from Edmonton too. Yeah. Which I, think, I, think yeah, I just say in. down in Calgary because we're recording this from from Edmonton. Yeah, so we're not yeah. down on Calgary, but we're down to be in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. So the other question I have, given like that. You know, Rachel Notley's got to pick up in Calgary. This comment that she made a few weeks ago about the just transition language, do you think, and this is actually a question we got from a listener, do you think mm-hmm. that, who, who do you think that speaks to? Do you think that engages with the Calgary voters she's trying to court? And does that harm her or help her? Oh, I think it, I mean, she's absolutely trying to, uh, you know, aiming that aiming that that message at Calgarians yeah. who are you know who might be who are concerned or might be concerned about uh, the things they're hearing about with this just transition. Now, I think take it if we take a couple steps back from the uh, from the not least comment. Um, since she became premier, Daniel Smith has been uh, with all the delicacy uh, of a or definitely a delicacy with all the delicateness of a sledgehammer. <laughs> Daniel Smith has been using the Trudeau Singh Notley Alliance talking point at every every single moment she can. Every single moment they can, UCP cabinet ministers are, are using that because they want to try. They want to tie. They see Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh as a weakness for Rachel Notley, so mm-hmm. they want to tie in the minds of Albertans and especially in the minds of all those Calgarians who aren't happy with the UCP and are thinking about voting NDP. They want to tie Rachel Notley to the unpopular Justin Trudeau and unpopular Jagmeet Singh here in Alberta. Yeah. And, you know, so you hear, you hear things like, 
uh, cabinet ministers saying Jugmeet Singh is Rachel Notley's boss. Uh, you know, Rachel Notley is is you know tied tied to the hip with 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 Justin Trudeau. None of which is really true. I mean, Jugmeet Singh is not Rachel Notley's boss. You don't think they get on ICQ every night and chat with each other uh, on Hotmail? What's the hot MS, <laughs> MSN, MSN Messenger? MSN Messenger. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're besties. Um, but, but it does it, create doubt, right? For, it does, and that's the whole point, right? Exactly. It's a talking point. They're trying to make that connection, and. Um, you know, they've obviously the UCP have obviously identified this as being, you know, one of the ways one of the ways to do that. So they've been hammering on this, and then this just transition thing comes up, and I mean, the you know the government comes out, the the, the premier comes out and accuses the federal government of having a secret memo to, you know, eliminate the jobs of 2.7 million Albertans. Turns out not such a secret memo. Though. Well, it was a you know it was a public document that apparently has been <laughs> on the federal government website since September. Um, but and and you know there aren't I'm not sure there's actually 2.7 million jobs in Alberta. Is there? No, there's like four million people yeah, in Alberta. You but, think? But it's it's an outrageous talking point, sure. right? It's 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 spin spin spin, right? And um, and they forced after you know after days and days, probably more than a week of really hammering on this talking point. Uh, they they forced Rachel Notley to respond, and it was the first time that she'd really, I don't, I mean, I don't say fallen into a trap because I think she kind of, in a way, kind of did her best to try to avoid getting caught in a trap. Yeah. But uh, it was the first time that they'd forced her to respond to it. So, the analogy that I have for this was when we were working on the Amarjeet Sohi for Mayor campaign. Mm-hmm. The only time we were ever scrambling was when we felt like we were forced to respond to the opposition. Mm-hmm. You, I, I don't think she ever has to. Yeah. I don't. I just don't think she does, unless it's like in a debate or something. Yeah, I. I she I, took the bait, and I think it was a bad move. Uh, you know, I think that I think trying to put some space, her Rachel Notley trying to put some space between her and Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau is not a bad thing. I think that you know where. Uh, the where a misstep could where a misstep was is that she fell into their she responded to their trap yeah, right yeah, so she she, she fell into their narrative um, but it, you know I imagine she was probably feeling pressure I expect that you know the UCP was banging on this talking point so hard that I imagine I wouldn't be surprised if NDP candidates in Calgary were hearing about it at the doors I'm and sure they, they were probably texting their organizers and their organizers were texting the NDP campaign saying we got to respond to this we got to respond to this we're feeling a lot of pressure and you know there's a you know whether they should or not should have she should have have or not i don't think she lost any votes yeah probably not like who the people who are like her base yeah where where do they flee to yeah right yeah and i mean this was so like so clearly aimed at calgary right because mm-hmm. they need those calgary votes and and you know putting distance between trying to put distance between herself and justin trudeau is never a never a bad thing yeah. i mean i think it's just it's so it's so Remarkable at how poorly communicated uh, this the just tra- just the whole just transition oh, thing I has know. been from the federal government. I mean, it seemed like you know they put out this document. Um, they you know they didn't they, you know they might not even even thought about how it would be perceived out out west. Probably not. where people you know, where there's like a real distrust of the federal <laughs> government. Uh, especially on energy issues because I mean it's not like they have a great track record. The National like, Energy Program? No, well and it just it feeds into all that, but it feeds into like 
like it feeds into all the, all the political stuff, you know, and sure. you can expect like, yeah, the conservatives are going to attack it. And yeah, they're going to frame it just like they framed, you know, the, the carbon tax as, you know, as something evil. But, but like bigger than that, uh, aside from the polit like the, the partisan politics of it, I think it feeds into like a legitimate fear that a lot of Albertans have and a lot of Albertans yeah. who work in the energy industry. And I'm not talking about like white collar workers who work in downtown Calgary. Because when those CEOs came out, the CEOs of the big energy companies came out and they talked about how, well, to just transition is our next boom, blah, blah, blah. You know, these are guys who are making thousands of dollars every hour. And they, you know, they have corner offices in Bankers Hall or whatever the fancy tower is in Calgary today. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these guys are not hurting. It's, it's, the, it's the, the, the people who are concerned about this are, you know, the guys, the families you know, working in Edson, working in Cold Lake, working up in Fort McMurray, working in Red Path, up in Slave Lake, you know, yeah. guys who work with their hands, roughnecks, mm-hmm. technicians, you know, boilermakers, the whole, the whole bit, people, yeah. you know, and there's, I think there's a legitimate fear that, you know, that those jobs might not exist in, in, in the next, in the, in the, you know, in the next 10, 20 years. And yeah. what are they going to do? And to hear this kind of messaging a lot of it is, you know, a lot of this is is spin, but to hear the spin, to hear the messaging and not to hear reassurance, it's all fear. And I think that really, it plays into legitimate fears that a lot of Albertans have. And I don't think that the federal government is doing anything that, to reassure them. No. That, you know, that if there is a green transition, a just, tra- I, the, okay, the, the, the just transition, I think that's like, it's such a it remi- does it Poor. remind you of just inflation? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was thinking about that Justin transition. It doesn't really flow as well. Not as well, no. Um, but I mean, what what I'm looking for, I think what's what's when we we t- we had a text message conversation about this earlier this week is what disappoints me the most about it is how just how dishonest everyone involved in the conversation is being. Yeah, like no, the federal government is not trying to kill 2.7 million Alberta jobs. This isn't, this wasn't a secret memo. Um, but then on the federal government's part, I don't really see like where's the where's the commitment to you know, to actually come out and help these people. Well, and, and to tell and, us what it actually to, means. Yeah. And not speak in government ease. I think like there's a severe governmentitis in Ottawa. Right now. Oh, I don't yeah. want to sound like a grumpy conservative, <laughs> but like, I really think that the liberals in Ottawa just don't, they legitimately don't understand and don't, and because of that, they just, they have no ability to empathize with the fears that a lot of people out West have about this. Yeah, I agree. I, I want to get us back yeah. on track. We talked, we, we did a bit of a departure okay. on just transition. Now you mentioned uh, on DaveBerta.ca, you're tracking uh, constituency nominations very closely. Yeah. So given what you've seen out there, I don't even know if this is a fair question, but which party seems to be the most prepared for an election in the province here, according to that sort of constituency nomination metric? Well, right now, the NDP have the most candidates nominated. They have 69 candidates nominated. They have four more. Nice. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. There are, there are four more uh, nominations scheduled coming up. The NDP have basically, with the except with a handful of exceptions, like a few exceptions, there's a few writings that wouldn't fall in this category, but they've they've nominated most of the candidates in the writings that they're going to target to win. Gotcha. Okay. So there's a few exceptions. Calgary Klein is one that's that's coming up um, on February 15th, and I think there's a, there's a couple others. Um, the right the writings that they're nominating now are like Drumheller, Stetler, Rimby, Rocky Mountain House, like fill out the dance card kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. kind of. And and you know they're nominating. They're, I mean these don't seem like 
paper candidates. Like they're actually putting an effort to nominate like real candidates and not like parachute in second year political science students. So no Thomas Dangs this no, time? Well, you know, maybe, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, I mean, it seems like there's actual, there's actually an actual effort to try to re- try to recruit candidates And Cypress medicine had of all places. There's, there are three candidates now running for the NDP nomination. Wow. There. So, you know, these are writings that are, you know, not in the top. If the NDP are going to form a majority, these are not in the, you know, these are unlikely to win. These are unlikely to win, but there's actually interest in in in, in these writings, which is which is something that's that's really notable. Um, the UCP is catching up. I think they have fifty some candidates nominated. Um, they stopped. They halted pause nominations during their leadership race. Of course. So they nominated a whole bunch of candidates before Jason Kenney uh, announced he was res- resigning, and then they paused nominations, and then they started nominating candidates pretty quickly. And they've opened up a whole bunch of nominations since. So they'll. Um, it won't be long before the UCP catch up, and uh, and I mean both the UCP and the NDP will have, I imagine, will have full slates of candidates in the next election. Eighty-seven ridings. These are normal party machinations. Like, yeah, it's not unusual for it, even three months out from an election for not everyone to be lined up yet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not it's not totally unusual. I mean, the UCP is a little bit behind because of the leadership race, right? Um, but I mean, they're they have their machines of the the machine of the party the, the machinery of the party is yeah, moving yeah so my other question related to to nominations uh and this kind of came out i think you either messaged me or tweeted i don't know if you're on twitter anymore we can talk. I, I i am on twitter i don't check it as often i'm not on because it's a fucking because it's, disaster because it's so clunky now this is what happens when you lay off all the people who actually make the website work yeah. right but you posted something about how it's interesting how there doesn't seem to be a UCP candidate nominated in Shannon Phillips' writing in Lethbridge West. Right. Yeah. So, so that's just to lead into this question, which is, what are some of the writings that you're paying close attention to here in Alberta? Well, I mean, outside of do you want to talk about outside of Calgary or like? Well, I mean, are there any interesting ones in Calgary that you think will be like? I mean, in, in, we yeah. know that that's the battleground. Yeah. But, yeah. Tell yeah. Me. I mean, there are there are interesting ones in Calgary. I mean, off the top of my head, any riding in Northeast Calgary is right. going to be a battleground, and the NDP are putting a lot of effort into nominating candidates. There were there were a couple close races in Northeast Calgary in the last election, and I think the NDP think that they can make that if they're going to make. Break, break out and make gains in Calgary. Northwest, Northeast Calgary is, is one of the areas that they're going to go. They're going to do it in. Um, so writings like Calgary Falcon Ridge, Calgary East, Calgary Cross are writings that I'm watching uh, in the Northeast um, as well. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many. Um, <laughs> Calgary Glenmore and Calgary Elbow I think will be interesting bellwethers. Uh, they're both in Southwest Calgary, and they're, um, you know, I'd say they're they're progressive conservative type voting ridings gotcha. and the NDP have nominated some two high profile candidates in those ridings um, if those if if the NDP are able to win in Glenmore and uh, and Elbow I mean maybe they're going to sweep Calgary at Ooh, that point so exciting yeah I mean no you know th- but there's I mean there's other ridings Calgary Pagan and 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 other other ridings I mean the further south and the further southeast you get the harder it's going to be for the for the NDP it's kind of like more core conservative territory that way but the northeast the northwest the southwest i mean at this point it seems like it seems like a, a battleground right now yeah what about uh, rural ridings or outside of calgary and edmonton you know i can count on one hand the number <laughs> he's of, holding up his hand I'm holding up my hand uh the number of ride rural ridings that the ndp are, are that i would consider them being competitive in and or even the, even just the ridings outside of calgary and the and edmonton and the edmonton donut um uh lethbridge east Okay, yeah. I think is one. 
uh, where the NDP have held it before. Shannon Phillips, the NDP uh, MLA for Lethbridge West, is is very popular. And as I as as we we alluded to, she has no challengers yet. It was one of the closest races in 2019, and no one, as far as I can tell, it's total radio silence from Lethbridge West. No one's super eager to get up and, and challenge Shannon Phillips. Mm-hmm. Not to say the, the the UCP will have a candidate, and it might be a close race again. But, Could be. But no one's out, as far as I know, no one's actually out campaigning right now. If someone is, please send me an email and let me know. <laughs> um, uh, other ridings, Banff Kananaskis, I think, is going to be one that, that the NDP uh, see they, they, uh, as, as a potential pickup. It was close for a rural riding in the last election. Yeah. It's not your traditional rural riding. This includes Canmore and Banff and the Bow Valley. Um, so it's not like a traditional rural riding, uh, but it is outside of the big cities. It is outside the big cities. Um, I'd look up up north. I'd look at ridings like Lesser Slave Lake. Hmm. There's a potential for, for a riding like that to flip if, if the NDP form a majority. Um, uh, but aside, outside of that, it starts to get pretty slim and this is where I talk about the electoral advantage that the UCP has is that like they have a lock on like a huge amount uh, a huge geographic portion of Alberta mm-hmm. my my other big question related to uh, ridings is do you think Casey Madu loses yes I do I really do <laughs> sure hope so no I do no I, I, honestly I do I think if 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 the polls stay the way they are if the NDP are, are as, as strong in Edmonton as they appear to be uh, I, I don't think you have any, we have any reason to believe they won't sweep every seat. In the city. Yeah. Okay, cool. That can, right. I mean, that can change. You know, if, 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 you know, there's Daniel Smith mania come three months from now, then it's <laughs> a totally different picture. Everyone's going to be wearing t-shirts, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's, let's shift gears and talk about the current Alberta government. Uh, sure. The, in September, 2023, uh, Danielle Smith verily swept into power on the sixth ballot to become only the second leader of the United Conservative Party. So I guess first, Dave, I want to ask you this question because it's, it's, it's a talking point I see from the left a lot, and that is given that it was UCP memberships that, that elected Danielle Smith as leader of the UCP, she, she won a by-election that made her uh, a member of the Legislative Assembly, that only a fraction of Albertans voted for her. This is the argument. Does that make her position as premier tenuous? And why not? Because I know the answer is no. This is this is how party. This is how we select like new leaders when parties. This is how we get new premiers when parties select new leaders. It's our system. It's our system. So the you know, the, the political parties, which are essentially private clubs, choose the leader <laughs> of a political party, yeah. and if that party is in government, then the leader of that party traditionally becomes the premier of Alberta. Um, you know, does she have a democratic mandate from Albertans? No. She won a by-election. She has a democratic mandate from the voters in Brooks Medicine Hat. <laughs> no, but she does. She's yeah, you know she's yeah. an MLA. She's the premier. Um, uh, she doesn't have a mandate from Albertans yet. She's going to be seeking a mandate from Albertans soon. Um, I'd I'd say that the the things that would make her premiership her leadership tenuous right now are that she didn't have the majority. She didn't have the support of. I should say, she had the support of an extreme minority of the UCP caucus, UCP MLAs, during the leadership race. The majority of UCP MLAs, or most of them, uh, the largest group, I should say, if not, if not the majority, supported Travis Taves, right. supported other ML, other, the other candidates, Rebecca Schultz, um, and, and, and the others. Um, the polling 
suggest, you know, definitely suggests that there's a tenuous situation there. You know, that they haven't returned to the glory days. The the UCP appear appear to be doing better in the polls than they did under Jason Kenney. Yeah, but that's uh, also but that was a really low bar. Yeah, because he was so deeply unpopular. Plus, there's no I shouldn't say that. There's not that there's no pandemic anymore. It's that we've all selectively chosen to ignore the pandemic. Yeah, as a polit- as a political issue, it's you know politics has kind of moved on yeah. in a way. Um, uh, but she's also improved the party's fundraising position, mm-hmm. which is something that Kenny was not able to do. So, you know, the polling is closer than it was before. She's improved their fundraising. They're nominating candidates. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think her leadership is solid by any means. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I mean, I think she's going to be the UCP leader going into the next election. I don't think they're going to replace her before the next election. Damn, that's one of the questions in our mailbag. Oh, okay. Well, a, we'll come back to that. We'll, you know, come back. well, we'll see. The email thing, right? Her yeah. emails. Her right? emails. It's her emails. Well, no. Let's actually talk about that right now. Okay. Because we know this, this sort of latest scandal where it's alleged that members of the Premier's inner circle contacted Crown prosecutors. I think this was about cases being brought against convoy protesters, specifically at the Coots yeah. border crossing. Yeah. The big question that I have and that I've seen a lot of people ask is like materially as you play the movie through, how serious, how bad is this for Danielle Smith? Because I feel like we live in a new political reality where this kind of thing can be sloughed off. You know, it's, 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 I think it's easy to believe that because we just as a world lived through like (laughs) Donald Trump Trump (laughs) where nothing seemed to matter anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think things do matter still. I think that, I think any time that Danielle Smith is tied to or brings up relitigating COVID-19, the pandemic and what happened again, I think that there's a huge portion of Albertans that are just turned off by that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and during the leadership, the UCP leadership race, I mean, she basically laser, we talked about her earlier, about her sucking up all the oxygen. She basically honed in with like laser focus on two key talking points and two key things that like, really got the ire of of uh, of a certain segment of conservative voters or or activists conservative activists here in Alberta and yeah. that was um uh, uh anger at Justin Trudeau in Ottawa for ev- for every reason under the, under you know under the sun all the normal reasons all the normal reasons uh and uh and anger at Jason Kenney and the Alberta government for implementing public health restrictions around COVID-19 right and and she just honed in and hammered like a, you know just totally focused on those two issues throughout the whole campaign and you know that's what won her the leadership of the United Conservative Party. So what we've seen since then is I mean she made all these promises during the leadership race about uh, you know uh, pardoning co- people who've been charged under things and for violating COVID COVID nineteen restrictions, um, talking about the plight of and and how hard done by people are, are the Albertans who you know refuse to get vaccinated when you know whatever the ninety or ninety five percent of the rest of us did. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that she said and she repeat during the campaign and she repeated it in December, I think it was December twenty third or would the end end of December, in an interview with Ezra Levant in the Rebel Media, Rebel News, was that she'd contact she had, she basically said that she'd been leaning on or she'd been contacting uh Crown prosecutors to be lenient or to remove charges on on uh people who'd been charged at the Coots you know, regarding the Coots blockade or um been leaning on public health or on, on um Crown prosecutors. And, you know, immediately you know, people read, raised some red flags and said like, hey, hey, that's, 
not what the premier should not what the premier should be doing. And then her message kind of changed to say, well, you know, while she didn't actually, you know, she changed her message to say uh, she didn't actually speak directly to crown prosecutors, but she'd spoke to the attorney general and the justice minister, and and then it kind of changed again to say she didn't actually do that, and then <laughs> eventually it changed to uh, she hadn't had any kind of contact at all and done anything at all, right? So this is the kind of this is over the past four months. This is the kind of evolution of things that we've seen with. With, with Premier Smith is she'll make some kind of outrageous statement to to appeal to uh, uh, appeal to her base whether it's true or not I don't know because then she will eventually deny it or say I spoke imprecisely <laughs> when she very clearly said something that she meant to yeah um, I speak imprecisely all the time I just didn't know that was a defense yeah yeah so uh, <laughs> well now you know yeah um, uh, and then there was allegation or then there was a report that, come out, that came out from the CBC saying that um, someone in the premier's office had emailed crown prosecutors, right, about the coots, in, the the coots cases. And do you imagine uh, it is like someone when they, this is like the defense? I imagine is like someone in the premier's office, someone in the premier, premier's office who shouldn't have been there. It was like a custodian yeah. or someone. They were just emailing crown prosecutors. Well, then they do. Then they do. Then they do this. <laughs> this you know weekend email search where they oh apparently go through. You know yeah. the uh, the the nonpartisan but not independent public service commission, right? Because they do these. As Jared Wesley um, pointed out on Twitter, these you know these people are professional public servants, but they do work for the government. They're not independent from government. They did a search and they weren't able to find emails, any emails related to this from people in the premier's office to people in the crown prosecutor's right. office, and and um, you know so the so the premier's office came out and without actually in person having to answer any questions said that they'd, she'd been that she'd been exonerated and her office had been exonerated for something that she literally said that she did a month <laughs> the month before so uh, you know you can't who, make this shit up who knows it's uh, you know this is uh, this is it's it's uh, you know we're through the looking glass here people this is a circus <laughs> um, and it's it seems to be a trend that we're seeing with uh, with this with this premier's office. Um, you know whether there whether or not there was an email. CBC stands by its story. Right. You know we'll see what comes of that. Whether we actually see emails come out or whether someone steps forward. Um, but right now it's a it's a CBC said versus Daniel Smith said. Yeah. And then Daniel Smith said again something else again. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the denial and yeah. reframing keeps happening. But but I think if the UCP wants to relitigate if Daniel Smith wants to relitigate the COVID-19 pandemic as part of the next election I think that's a losing issue for the UCP because people we want to we, we want, want to move on we want to move on but we also want to hear about other stuff right well, and and I think everybody has a family member or a friend who has you know gone fallen down the path of conspiracy theories and they've lost a friendship or they've they, there's a family member they can't talk to about covid you know every time i open up my facebook page or my facebook you know feed which is less and less now um you know i see someone who's you know who's now a covid conspiracy theorist and talking about the world economic forum and you know all this coded language for the international jewish conspiracy really is what it yeah. is um I've been, and I think people are just—they don't want their—they they don't want to run an election on it, or they don't want their politicians to to run on this. It's so—it's wild to think about like how different the attitudes are now compared to where we were three years ago. I'm I'm listening to the Talking Sopranos podcast. Oh, interesting. With, uh, Michael Imperioli is one of the hosts. Just because I started rewatching Sopranos a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. They started recording that show in March of 2020. 
Wow. And they're talking about like people being safe and being stuck in their homes. And they know people who died from the virus, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so weird to think about how different the conversation was about COVID-19 three years ago. And here we are, people are still dying, yeah. you know, by the way, uh, it's, it's just, it's wild. But, but I mean, voters do want to move on from this. We've, I guess we've decided collectively as a society, this isn't something we want to think about. So let's not mind you. You and I are both boosted many, many times. Yes, yeah, yeah. Get vaccinated, people. I, just sticking with this this topic of the the prosecutor, the alleged emails. Um, why hasn't Danielle Smith just served up a sacrificial lamb? One of her staffers been. It was this person. I'm firing them. Job done. Why hasn't she done that? I, I you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is uh, uh, maybe they don't know who did it. Yeah. Okay. Like maybe that's the case, or maybe there's some denial happening in the premier's office, hmm. or maybe they're protecting someone. I don't know. I mean, it could be any of those, any of any of those scenarios, or maybe they just, maybe this is the, uh, you know, any ad, any admission of admission guilt. of guilt is a failure. Yeah, politics because we've seen that, and we've seen from more the UCP. Of, we've seen that from the UCP, and we've, I mean, not just the UCP. This is, yeah. you know, you see this from the federal liberals, and you see it from other governments too. But specifically in Alberta, we've seen this from the UCP, especially over the past couple of years. I mean, Tyler Shandro is still in cabinet. <laughs> Casey Madu is still a cabinet minister. I know. Um, you know, this this is uh, there's no room for failure, and uh, uh, you know, failure is rewarded. Yeah, it's weird because I think that uh, if you admitted failure every now and then, people would be like, "Oh, look, a real human being." I'm yeah, like, maybe I'll vote for them. Yeah, totally. I mean, humility what... is uh, is is uh, is underrated. I, I was wrong, Dave. My the next question and the last question oh, of this part of the show okay. that I was going to ask you, I thought was a listener question, and I think it was, but I just sort of reworded sure. it, and made it my own. So I'm sorry, uh, whoever that was. Do you think, come election time in May, that Danielle Smith is still the leader of the UCP? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I do. I do. I think there, uh, you know, I think there are... The knives aren't out. Oh, I think there are knives that are out. And I think that there are UCP (laughs) MLAs who have extreme reservations about Danielle Smith and the people around her. um, Because I've talked to some of them. Mm -hmm. And... They didn't know you were relaunching this podcast. No, they didn't know I was relaunching this (laughs) podcast. Uh, And and there's concerns about the people from that I've heard from MLAs and UCP activists that there are concerns about the premier, there are concerns about the people she surrounds herself with hmm. and their politics and their brand of politics. And there are concerns about the groups that have kind of spawned from the demi- the downfall of Jason Kenney and the rise of, of Daniel Smith. And I'm talking about groups like Take Back Alberta. Yeah. This very conservative right wing um, political action group that now exists within the UCP that swept the UCP board elections in the fall that has been going around actively organizing to take over UCP constituency associations. They took over the board of the Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry Association uh, or, or, uh, this month. They're now, as far from, from what I've heard, they're aiming to take over the Innisfail Sylvan Lake UCP Association. Um, uh, you know, these are people who are talking about, you know, stopping the socialist uh, threat to Alberta and using that kind of language. And, you know, the... the um, Relitigating COVID nineteen and the public health measures that were that were brought in, um, and they're very organized. And mm-hmm. traditionally, this is a group that has been, or this this is a type of group that has always really been always been around the conservative movement, and they always show up at at party AGMs. But but they're organized in full force, and they feel empowered now. And I know 
people in the UCP who feel, feel very threatened, moderate types who yeah. feel very threatened from this because they're not, they don't have momentum, but these other guys have momentum. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. All right, well, let's leave that there and crack open the old mailbag. Okay, here we go. Got a lot of questions. Uh, we'll try and keep this brief, but, uh, but let's start with a question from Ken Cantor. Ken asks, why do we need to put up with negative campaigning against other individuals and other parties and other levels of government and the laying of blame towards them instead of campaigning on why they're running and what they would do if elected? Ken says, I want a reason to vote for someone that is more substantive than they're not someone else. So why do you think they're campaigning like this? Well, I mean, the normal response would be negative parties parties, uh, indulge in negative campaigning because it works. Right. Right. So that's why they do it. So people say they don't like it. It's like they say they don't like negative advertising, but it works, right? It's so, but, but I think there's a difference between like, you know, the type of real, real negative politics that we, that we, we, we've seen in Alberta lately and really over the past few years and the kind of like contrast campaigning. So contrast, you're always going to have like contrast, you know, contrast advertising and contrast campaigning where, right. you know, Danielle Smith is going to contrast herself with, with Rachel Notley. And by doing that, she's going to highlight Rachel Notley's negative, her, her negative aspects. Right. So there's, that's, I, you know, I don't think that's really, none, none of it's really off limits, but like, cause parties will do whatever they, they think they need to do to win. Yeah. Um, and it's up to voters to decide what's off limits and what's too far. Um, but I think with, um, I think there does need to be a little, well, quite a bit more of like, you know, a little bit more aspirational, a little bit more what, you know, what are you going to vote? What are you voting for? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Um, set out know, a vision. Set out a vision. To, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say like hope hope and change kind of thing. Like That was 2008. That, that worked was 2008, in 2008, right? And that worked in 2008. But like, uh, I think that, you know, I mean, there's, I think there's an appetite for that for a lot of people are looking for that especially after the past few years it's been a real like tough time and I think that I mean I kind of agree with Ken I think there you know there's a, there is an appetite for uh for some positive vision out there and uh you know whether that happened whether, whether you know whether that's the right strategy or not that's a, that's a totally different thing we'll leave that for our friends on the what's it called the the, the tacticians pod, the no, the pol- strategist podcast. Yeah, yeah, those right. ding dongs. Um, yeah, the, Zane, Zane's podcast. Yeah, Zane Velji. Yeah, yeah. yeah a new yeah. father, Zane Velji. Yeah, congratulations, congratulations, Zane. Zane. I don't know who those other guys are on that show. Oh, Annalise Klingbeil. She's been hosting. Oh, really? Yeah, she's oh, been great. She's a former guest. Did she was she a guest on this one? Or I don't know. If, maybe. Yeah. Do you read her Substack? That's a whole I do. Other, it's, it's great. It's the, the the outdoor. Yeah. Go go outdoors. Go outside. Go outside. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Um, the, the only one thing I wanted to add to the Ken Cantor question is something that I've been hearing from folks that are self-described NDP supporters is that they've started to tune the NDP out, like going so far as to muting the party and muting Rachel Notley on social media because they seem to lead with negativity. Mm-hmm. And I asked one of these people, well, I mean, they're kind of, they're maybe framing how things are. And she said, the media does enough of that. Mm-hmm. I don't need to hear it from them. I want to. I want to know what I should be hopeful for. So I think that kind of aligns with the question that Ken's asking here. Yeah, I think the NDP could be a lot more. Uh, I mean, obviously they have a strategy and they're they think it works. I think they could be. And I think we've talked about this before. Adam is they could be a lot more forceful and purposeful in terms of setting the narrative. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rachel Notley is the former premier of Alberta. She is. 
uh, a formidable force. She's recognized. She's a trusted voice in Alberta politics. People want to hear what she has to say. Um, I think that she could be, the NDP could be setting the narrative. If they decided that tomorrow, you know, tomorrow is the healthcare day, the next day, you know, this is the healthcare week. We're going to talk about healthcare. We're going to talk about wait times in emergency rooms. We're going to talk about the staffing crisis and how the government isn't helping that mm-hmm. and how, you know, how they, they have a plan to, how the NDP has a plan to, to, uh, to fix the staffing crisis. I think they really could be setting the agenda. Um, but it seems like they do, you know, you follow Rachel Notley's Twitter account, and she's posting about 18 different issues every single day. Well, we have a question about and, that a little later, yeah, so okay. we'll get to that. Um, this next question comes from Alan Corridor. Alan asks, if Daniel Smith's 2023 so far was a Nicolas Cage movie, what, what Nicolas Cage movie would it be? Uh, I know you've been thinking about this all day. I have day. A Con Air. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I that. I say Con Air or Face Off. <laughs> Okay, tell me, tell me why. Tell me well, why. I mean, I guess face off in terms of like which you know, the the premier keeps on changing her uh, her <laughs> position. She's she's uh, you know, one month she's saying one thing and the next month she's saying the total opposite. Yeah. Kind of you yeah. know denying that she said the thing that she'd said before or <laughs> did the thing that she did. She said she did before. So um, you know maybe uh, maybe a uh, Nicholas Cage John Travolta hit. I like that. Yeah. That's not good. about hockey. Not about hockey. No. Not about no. hockey. All right, let's move on with Steve Benson. He asks, uh, how did Western society get to the point of small extreme ends of the political spectrum um, directing policy over the 70% who are center-right or center-left? So how how did we get to extremism here? That's a real, like, deep question. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. We might have to commit a whole episode to that. Yeah, and I'd be interested to hear what people have to say about this. Um, I think that... We, I mean, it, it at least it feels like, and I mean, what I've what I've read um, is that we, you know, we are a more politically polarized society now than we maybe we have been over the past, you know, in ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um, I don't really know how we got there. I mean, the you know, the easy. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of a lot of things that co- contribute. Um, economic. Fear, yeah. education levels. You're saying just um, inflation is the, just inflation. Is the cause? Um, you know, social media probably hasn't helped. Yeah, it's Elon it's, Musk's fault. It's siloized us. No, yeah. it's like uh, it's um, the other guy, the Facebook guy, the, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Funny, you don't hear from that guy very much. No, no. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a big question, Steve, and maybe we'll dive into that with a guest. Yeah, one of no, these days. thank you, Steve. Elise McDee asks, "What about the rumors of an early election?" And what conditions would need to exist for one to be called? So I've seen what Elise has seen, and, and that is the government uh, presents a budget and then calls a snap election. What do you think? Sure, they could do that. <laughs> I mean, they could. I don't, you know, I don't think they're going to. I they think, don't have their nominees in place I don't yet. think they have their nominees in place. I don't think they're ready to go. Um, but, I mean, they could. Well, there's a related question uh, here from, uh, I'm sure this is a real name. Chester Field asks, what if the UCP scuttles May 29th? The context here is that I believe the government, we do have a fixed election date rule, Yeah, but the government can delay for a year. Yeah, the constitution says that a legislature can last for five years. Okay, gotcha. But our fixed election date is every four years. So like, yeah, I mean, the government could either amend the fixed election date in the Elections Act, or they could, I mean, I guess presumably just ignore it. Because the Constitution supersedes that law. Yeah, and then, I mean, I don't think that's a good sign. Generally, governments that <laughs> wait out the full five years tend to lose big, yeah. and they're, they're waiting out 
stretching it out in, in hopes of something changing, but it looks desperate. Um, yeah, so usually when governments do that, you end up with like a Kim Campbell situation yeah. or a Bob Ray situation um, where your party's in a lot of trouble and you're going to lose big. Yeah. And, well, it, and people automatically think that. And I think, but in those situations that I just talked about, I just, I just referenced Kim Campbell and Bob Ray, they didn't have fixed election dates then. Right? <laughs> so, right. so ignoring the fixed election date is just, is a sign that, you know, something's not right. Something's you know, not right. And Danielle Smith did say, I mean, not she, that she, it she said, I think she, she committed said, she to actually it. said that she's, they would respect the me or they would, they were planning for May 29th. So yeah. I, I, I'm operating under the assumption they're going to have election on May 20th. Sure, they could call it early. Yeah, they could. Yeah. I don't think they're going to. But maybe not late. Right? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, next question is from Monica Novotny, and she asks, why is the general public still inflexible to looking at other political parties when the one in power is so corrupt? So, Well, I think people are looking to another. I mean, we, have, we, we now have a two-party system in yeah, Alberta. yeah. Uh, I'm assuming you're t- assuming Monica that you're talking about Alberta politics, um, because we asked for questions about Alberta politics. <laughs> we did, um, but yeah, I mean we have a competitive two-party system in Alberta, whereas before 2015, you could argue 2012 was a bit of a was there was, it was a competitive election, ended up being a big majority or a majority for the for the progressive conservatives again, but it was a competitive campaign. Um, but for most of the previous 80 years, with a couple exceptions, um, it's been a one party. These elections have been dom- absolutely dominated by one party. So Albertans are looking at two parties, which is better than a one party state. Yeah. I mean, you know, could we have, a, you know, would it be better to have a system where there were three or four parties that are competitive? Yeah, sure. We're looking at you, Barry Morishita. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that's what Barry Morishita wants. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, it doesn't look like the 2023 election is going to be that. This is a two party race. Yeah. It's two-party race. And we're stuck with it. Thanks for the question, Monica. Yeah. This was a question asked by both Deanna Meritz and uh, Ego von Merckx, and they ask, why don't we have a law against our politicians lying to us? You know, I Googled this because okay. I thought it was an interesting question, and the uh, Canadian, or the Center for Constitutional Studies at the U of A actually had a blog post written about this, and I'll uh, include it, in the, I'll link to it in the show notes, but they talked about... Um, how it would impact something like this is very difficult because it would impact freedom of expression and things that are guaranteed under the constitution. And I think that, um, I think that like, I mean, there's politicians who lie outright lie. And then there's, and I think we need to make a distinction. You're talking about, uh, uh, George Santos. Yeah. There's there's George Santos. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, if that is his real name, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and politicians who make promises and say something and then the situation changes. Right. Uh, and then they're not able to deliver on what they promised. And I think that's very different because politicians and political parties make promises all the time and then they get into government and then they realize, oh, well, the books are much worse than the party we just defeated uh, thought, you know, led us to believe we can't do this. Or, you know we never expected to form government. Yeah. And now, you know, some of these promises we can't deliver on. These were nonsense promises. Yeah, these are nonsense. Or, you know, there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of reasons why, uh, but, you know, the, the scenarios that, that you could think of. The other question with that one is, is like, how do you litigate that? We have an election. Well, exactly. We have elections. We actually have a recall uh, law here in Alberta now. So you can recall your amount. You can collect signatures. And Was it actually, did it get royal assent? Yeah, it got royal it assent. Oh, so okay. you can recall your, I mean, you can't do it now because we're too close to a general election. But I think like, 
I think you can start it like six months or a year after the general after the general election, <laughs> um, where you can go and collect signatures. Which I, I, I'm not a fan of the recall because I think we have elections for a reason. Yeah. Um, but you can go and and yeah, collect signatures. And if you get a certain percentage of signatures in any riding, you can and they're verified by Elections Alberta. You can uh, you can trigger a by election. I think using the formidable reach and powers of the Dave Berta media ecosystem, we should raise money to create a political action group to remind people that they could recall lying <laughs> politicians. It's a long tail, but we'll get there. Yeah, you know, and that's that's why they that's why the UCP passed the, uh, the, recall. the recall law. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a fan of it, but use it if you want. If you want. It's Smoke available them if you too. got. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right, this next question is from Chris Coleman. Will the provincial NDP ever get a proper social media strategy going? I think this speaks to your we, we, remark about the 18 messages. Yeah, we kind of talked about this. And I mean, I think they have a social media strategy going. Um, like, I think they have one. Yeah. Presumably. I mean, they're, they're using social media and they're using it frequently all the time. Um, you know, whether it's, it's resonating or appealing with people, um, you know, maybe it's not appealing, with the, appealing to the demographic that, uh, that Chris is part of. Maybe not, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're close in the polls. And, you know, they're using a strategy that they think works. You know, we just talked about how we have some issues with it. But, um, you know, we'll see whether they whether they switch gears going closer to the election. That's another uh, smoke if you got them yeah. <laughs> category for there you go. Um, Ego Von Merckx asks, why do political parties run this country or province when democracy requires representation? What happened with accountability? There's a lot of you can sense the mood yeah. of Dave Berta uh, yeah. followers here. Hey, I, I I think I mean you know we political parties are part of for better or for worse they're part of the system that we have right now. Um, you know if someone wants to organize a slate of independent candidates to run, you know that's something that that can be done and has been done in the past to varying degrees of success. Usually not that successful, but somewhat successful in some cases. Uh, Alberta in the 1940 election is the one I'm thinking. They didn't defeat the Social Credit Party, but they uh, <laughs> they won a bunch of seats. Um, uh, in terms of like accountability, um, I mean, I think that like the one thing that really that is really absent in politics across Canada right now is the just the the total the whole con. It's not new; uh, it's been gone for a while. But the whole concept of ministerial accountability that mm. like if a minister, you know, a minister screws up if something happens in in the minister's uh, department. They they're resign. Gone. They're punted. They either, you know, resign or they be resigned. Yeah. And that just doesn't really happen because no one wants to admit, you know, we're, we're at a point where no one wants to admit any kind, any type of failure. Like there, I wonder if that comes from like, and I'm not saying this facetiously, but like a fear of being canceled, that if you admit to wrong, you, you're, um, you're radioactive. Maybe. We know, we know that's not the case. Like Maybe. That's, I, yeah. But I, I mean, you know, people are, uh. Yeah, I think people are pretty forgiving of that kind of stuff. Like that's another one of those big questions. I think there's yeah, a, there's a whole like sociology to yeah. this that uh, yeah. I don't think you or I are qualified to answer. No, no. Um, this is a good one from Jonathan Tate Meyer who asks, uh, "When was the last time we went through a full le legislative term without a full floor crossing?" So oh my, oh my god, <laughs> not just sitting independent and but joining another party. I I was going to look this up. I was going. I, I, I Jonathan, thank you for the question. This is a great question. Um, I I had meant to look this up because I was trying to think like uh, in the last. Well, I guess this 
this legislative session. So from now, from 2019 to now, have there been any floor crossings? Uh, I mean, Thomas Dang is an independent, but I don't think there's been any floor crossings in since 2019. So no one joined another party since 2019. This might be the one. I don't think so. I think this might be the one because the last term they were like, from 2015 to 2019, they were just like hopscotching all over the place. <laughs> it was just like UCP, Wild Alberta Bruce, Party, yeah. PCs joining NDP, whatever, uh, you know, Sandra Jansen. Um, and then before that, there was, there must have been, well, before that, then it was the uh, the Daniel Smith floor, Wildrose floor crossing. And then before, I don't, I don't remember that. And I don't think anyone else does either, no, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then before that, I'm sure there were some, there was Bridget Pasteur in the election, in the, in the period oh, yeah. before there crossed from the liberals to the progressive conservatives. Um, before that, I'm sure there was, there was others, maybe 2004 to 2008 might've, no. <laughs> I like that you have maybe 2004 to 2008. I, I'll have to look it up. Jonathan, but, forget about Google. It's yeah, all in Dave's head. I'm, I'm going to, I will, I will post a, post a, a, a tweet about this or post something in the show notes about this, but that is a great question, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, Andrew Leach, friend of the pod asks, why didn't you restart this podcast earlier? Where have you been? I don't know. Where have you been, Adam? No. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, Adam's been a very bu- busy business boy. <laughs> <laughs> My partner, Tyler and I started a business. So. Uh, yeah, that's where we've been. Andrew's yeah. real question, yeah. which is maybe only slightly more real than the last two, which party might Ross Sherman <laughs> run for next? He's currently well, running for the United Conservative Party. Well, he's, he's, he's running for the, r- the r- nomination. R- yeah, yeah. Former Liberal Party leader, former progressive conservative MLA, former independent MLA, Ross Sherman is running for the, he, he tried to run for the UCP leadership last year. They wouldn't grant him grant him a waiver because he hadn't had a UCP membership for the uh, certain for the required period. Now he's running for the UCP nomination in Edmonton. White mud. Again, so if he wins that nomination, he's running against Racky Pancholi. Right? Yeah, forget it. Why bother? I don't know. Racky's going to win that one. I, I think I think fairly it's, reliably. It's fairly reliable. It's a pretty safe NDP riding going into the next election. All right, R.D. Travis, uh, who also asked the question about the just transition that we did in the earlier part of the show, asks, should Trudeau step aside for a new leader? But (laughs) before the next election? I think that's the question, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, like, I think a lot of people would say probably, but then the question is who could replace him and who could win as a Liberal Party leader in Canada right now? And I can't, off the top of my head, I mean, there's people, you know, Talk about Christia Freeland. That would be my hope, but, but like, I don't think so. I don't see anyone stepping into that role right now. Yeah. So should he? Maybe. Will he? Hell no. No. Should he for the sake of his party? Probably not before the next election. Yeah. Thanks for the question there, RD. And this last one is from Giancarlo Zanari, who asks, why are no politicians discussing expanded and integrated transit systems to reduce carbon emissions? It's all electric cars replacing gas, which would arguably be worse in terms of ecological destruction. And I think he's probably alluding to like the use of heavy metals and batteries. Mm -hmm. You still have to generate electricity to run these cars, which means burning fossil fuels in some cases. So why, why aren't people discussing integrated transit? That's a great question. I mean, it's people should be. Yeah. I mean, that's the answer. I mean, I'd say, uh, Provincial politicians aren't because they don't see public transit and transit systems as their responsibility. Yeah. And municipal politicians aren't because they um, they can't get along with each other. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably the reason. 
That's a tough one. Well, that's it for all the questions. Thanks for that, Giancarlo. And thanks to everyone who sent in a question, not knowing whether or not we were going to record yeah. a podcast. We were pretty cute about this, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Good, good stuff. Thank you to everyone who listened and subscribed to the Daybird Podcast. And a huge thanks to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for making this podcast sound so great, Adam. The sweet sound of the Dave Verta podcast. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm glad we're back. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions. You can find more Dave Berta on my website, daveberta.ca. And something new from, since the last time we did the podcast, make sure you subscribe to my Substack at daveberta.substack.com, where you'll find a lot of great Dave Berta content and uh, we'll be making some exciting announcements on very soon yeah that's great awesome uh, where can people find you on social media these days Dave uh, you can find me on well you can find me on Twitter at, at Dave Cornoyer I'm not on Twitter as much but I'm still around uh, and uh, on Instagram at, uh, at Dave Berta cool alright thanks for listening everybody thanks And I think the theme song, Dave, for this episode should just be you doing the White Lotus theme song. I don't know if I can do that for that long.